Welcome to Race and Democracy, a podcast on the intersection between race, democracy, public policy, social justice, and citizenship. On today's episode, we are pleased to be joined by Rebecca Campbell, who is the CEO of the Austin Film Society and who also has an MFA from University of Texas at Austin. Yep. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And um, in the context of this ongoing uh, pandemic and really all of the racial upheaval that we're seeing um, really all around uh, the, the country and the racial disparities uh, related to pandemic, but also um, the criminal justice system, and, and we're seeing massive protests all around the country. I wanted to talk about art and film and the way in which um, culture can be transformative and also talk about social justice and the inequities might, that might be in that system, in that supply chain. And I thought that you would be the, the, the perfect person, the perfect guest to have on to talk about this because the Austin Film Society is such an important part of the city of Austin's cultural milieu. Well, well, I, I am. I'm really honored to be asked to, to be part of your podcast. Um, you're always so insightful and um, and such a fountain of, of information and really positive thought on this topic. So, um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to to put you know AFS in the spotlight, and um, I would love to get into the conversation with you. Yeah. So. Let's let's start. Um, what what can we do? How can uh, both the Austin Film Society, but art and culture and movies, both um, uh, as vehicles of popular culture, but also as vehicles that employ people, that provide health care for people, that provide professional opportunities for people? What can we do in the city of Austin? How can um, art and culture, but really film? Uh, be something that's transformative and healing for us uh, at this particular moment? Yeah, um, it, it's such a great question to ask because it's not necessarily the first thing that's going to come to mind, right? I mean, when people, uh, when their shelter is threatened and, um, and you know, people's livelihoods and um, disproportionately in communities of color. So I really appreciate, let's take a half an hour and, and ask about art and culture. And um, I think let's just talk about the power of story and how it goes back to the, I guess, the very first people that around and, and um, that's what humans do, right? We add meaning. We we and it's like the most fundamental thing that we do um, for for the the qu the quality of life and the power of image. Um, so the film society got started with with the idea that we need to be in a room together watching uh, movies on the big screen, and we're still committed to that, even though right now our cinemas closed. But I think the topical moment is not about um, an elaborately constructed work of art that's many, many years in the making. I think right now we're talking about the power of image with these horrific images that we're seeing, that we saw, um, you know, um, just watching the death of, of George Floyd on screen. The, that is, was, and now precipitating, you know, massive protesting. Um, so, so, 
I would love to actually hear your <laughs> reflection back to me on is, is there is there something about the power of image there that's intrinsic to this? Yeah, you know, I think that the George Floyd, um, the imagery of George Floyd being really publicly executed has been very, very powerful. I think it's also very, very traumatic. So I think one of the things that image was viewed millions of times, uh, but I do think that that kind of imagery um, should be taken down. And I think that there's there's a there's a, at least a conversation happening now that these sort of images and these scenes of of lynching, these scenes of public executions and humiliations, um, they don't actually necessarily breed more more empathy or understanding of humanity. Um, there's something um, um, that's very uh, exploitative about it, especially considering that this person was a father, he's somebody's son, um, he's, he's somebody's partner, uh, he was loved by the community, and none of us would want to see uh, our loved one um, publicly executed, let alone that public image um, circulating globally uh, for all time. Uh, so, so I, I think that it's it's a uh, it's very complex in that way. But I also think I agree with your notion of the power of imagery and the power of the story because that image certainly has precipitated um, some consequences uh, with the four police officers fired. But it's it's precipitated um, really massive demonstrations and upheavals that are rooted and connected to much longer. Um, um, issues and much longer historic uh, inequities and oppression um, in this country. Yeah. Um, but when you when you think about the power of story, what what does the the Austin Film Society do to to sort of leverage that power of story, um, not just during this time of the pandemic, but but just just as a as a film society. Well, we we um, we address the entire um, film ecosystem and um, create impact and opportunity here in our region because we're outside of the known um, centers for film of of um, Los Angeles and New York, um, and we we do it um, really. In, in, there's like several, I would say three pillars. Um, one being itself the curation and presentation of great art um, from throughout history and from, from around the world. Secondly, the nurturing of artists and um, recognizing the long journey to develop your creative voice. And then lastly, um, industry jobs, you know, um, whether they're curated or not, um, simply fostering production in Austin that's going to create the jobs, um, hopefully good union jobs um, with, with health care and a pension um, and lots of economic activity and the opportunity for people to hone their skills. So you've got those three pillars and we're intervening in all of those. Now, when we talk about the issues of uh, racial equity, um, social equity, gender equity, how is the Austin, how is Austin's film um, ecosystem in, in those, in that regard? Um, well, let's let's look at um, our our filmmaker support programs. Um, something that um, we started back in the mid '90s um, with the idea of. Um, of getting cash dollars to emerging filmmakers and helping um, support their journey. Um, so since that was started by our, our founder, Richard Linklater, back then, um, 
he'd had the opportunity to to get his film made and seen. It was incredibly powerful, empowering for him, and he wanted to figure out a way that artists could give back. So we would do fundraisers by, uh, you know, we would show a Hollywood movie and um, bring in talent and and um, and then raise money and, and give it back. Well, it's grown to um, two million dollars that's been given out to um, over 400 filmmakers since then. And just looking, say, at the last three years, um, the the grantees, um, about three quarters of the grantees were either and or female identifying or identifying with communities of color. And um, when you when you contrast that to the industry, um, if if um, if your listeners um, like statistics, I would direct them to um, the work of Dr. Stacy Smith out of USC Annenberg. And I mean, just one <clears throat> set of stats um, total, this is, this would have been um, in um, the, the, the number of directors by gender and underrepresented status across 1300 films from 2007 to 2019, 82% white males, 3.9% white females, Twelve um, percent underrepresented males, less than one percent underrepresented females. So, if you contrast that um, reality of the industry to the way that the film society is seeking out and distributing funds, um, I'm very, very proud of the effort that we're making. I also realize it's such a drop in the bucket. There's so much more to be done. The one other thing I want to tell you about the program um, is that it's not just cash. It's also access to major creatives and access to coaching. So, you know, our, our staff works with the selected filmmakers um, and we have um, our artist intensive labs in which we've we've had you know filmmakers of color who've gotten connections um, to Hollywood and, and been able to go on and, um, and succeed and achieve in, in that difficult system. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. When we think about um, trying to achieve in Hollywood or just as a professional filmmaker or artist, uh, the power of story, as you as you um, discussed earlier, especially given uh, this time. I mean, we're going to, of course, see in the near future stories about the pandemic, um, stories about uh, racial inequity, stories about people who have suffered because of health disparities. And now we're seeing um, these protests in Minneapolis and around the country. Uh, when we think about the power of stories, how can film really help us understand the times that we're living in um, now, um, especially in a city like uh, like Austin, where we see, you know, it's a city that suffers the effects of gentrification, um, both the, the the negative effects and the positive investment of gentrification. It's a city that's growing um, whiter in certain ways, um, or at least less black uh, in terms of its African-American population down to about 7.8%. Um, it's a city with huge uh, disparities in wealth that seem uh, intractable when we think about um, um, the Silicon Valley here and all the, the, the wealth that's coming here, but that's not being distributed evenly. Um, so what can, how can the power of story and how can, what can filmmakers and artists do uh, to reflect um, the reality of this moment? Um, well, they've got to be 
um, afforded the opportunity to um, get their voice heard. Film is so incredibly powerful. People are are so drawn to it. Um, but just like any any art form, you know, there's a massive learning curve. And in the case of film, it's an expensive learning curve. Um, so I, I think um, we have to acknowledge the importance of um, funding, um, space, and encouragement um and and that is what these filmmakers support programs are set up to do um there's a there's a technical learning curve there's the experimentation with narrative learning curve and then there's getting your film out and getting people to watch it there's absolutely so much um to be learned i suppose the university of texas can make a difference as there are hundreds of eager students entering that program every year um but but getting getting back to the the power of story the the dna of the film society has been do it yourself and that's not because it's fun or easy um at all it's simply because um, if you want to tell the story you want to tell, you're going to have to be in control of um, the resources, right? It's it's. Um, I remember years ago we had the the great um, American filmmaker um, Charles Burnett uh, came to town and was giving a talk to some students at Houston Tillotson, and somebody asked him the classic question about advice on breaking into the industry, and he said um, he said, you know, you're it's not hard to break into the industry, what's hard is to tell the story you want to tell. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's all about recognizing and funding and encouraging um, underrepresented voices and untold stories. Well, Charles Burnett is one of my favorite film directors and Killer of Sheep is is his masterpiece from 1977. It was at UCLA Film School. Um, When when you think about um, African-American stories, how, how come uh, the power, the universal universality of something like Killer of Sheep, or even last year, Queen and Slim, which I thought was an excellent film. I thought it was a brilliant film. Um, a lot of times are pigeonholed as sort of African-American films or Black films, and, and people sort of don't see the universality in that art. And certainly Queen and Slim, which is about an African-American couple who meet on a first date and uh, become on the run from the police and law enforcement, after a stop, um, a car stop goes bad, uh, is very, very um, much on my mind considering what's happening uh, nationally. But when you think about Black artists and Black films, how come a lot of times they're not universally accepted? Or if they are, as in the case of a couple of years ago, uh, Green Book was the best picture, they really are, are... you know, directed by whites who rely on the really racist cliches um, and sort of a master-slave dialectic between African-Americans and whites. So sort of the driving Miss Daisy, a green book uh, framework paradigm is, is so much more easily marketable than something that really um, reflects the, the, the complexity of Black life uh, in America. Right. Um, well, it, it, it has to do with um, who's in the director's seat and who's heading up the marketing team and who's um, cutting loose the financing. It's it's every aspect of the industry. And, you know, because um, 
just just like every other aspect of America, you've got this legacy of hundreds and hundreds of years um, of oppression and discrimination. It's 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 got to turn around. I mean, I I think it's it's just clearer than ever in this moment. Um, And and, you know, I think that it it, to me, a a higher consciousness about this has bubbled up over the last few years. Um, And we we did have the um, hashtag Oscar so white and hashtag times up. Um, that that you know did surface and and I and I think incremental change is afoot, but um, I, I truly feel that until African American filmmakers are are driving um, the, the product that they're creating and every aspect of it from from the like I said from the financing to the distribution um, that the problem that you're talking about is going to persist. Um, we've talked about and, and read up on how it's so entrenched that um, the people who are benefiting from the system don't even know that they are, you know, they just assume that their privilege and their power, that there's something about that that they've earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the people who are trying to fight their way into the system have to, you know, first start by pointing out that there's a problem. So I guess I go back to the statistics. They're shocking. Yeah. And so when we think about where we're at now, and I want to talk a little bit about documentary filmmakers, um, African-Americans have a hard time getting into the documentary filmmaking aspect of this too, but it's so crucial. And there's been sort of a a renaissance of documentaries, uh, both when we think about uh, in the, the, the Academy Awards and at that high level, but just sort of interest in documentaries, a range of documentaries. But I still don't see um, certainly Ava DuVernay's The 13th um, made a big splash and Ezra Edelman's documentary on a really seven part on O.J. Simpson won the Oscars. But what what, what about that aspect, the, the aspect of documentary filmmaking and sort of telling um, stories that, whether they're by Black filmmakers, but stories that focus on racial justice? Well, yeah, I, I it, it, it has been... Um a golden age of documentary the last 20 years. Um, you know, it's really come into its own. <clears throat> um, and just like every other aspect of the industry, there's a, um, a underfunding of, of underrepresented voices. Um, I don't know, to take it to a local example, we have a filmmaker that we've nurtured um, by the name of Chelsea Hernandez. And her film that came out um, in the last couple of years, Building the American Dream, is about um, Latino workers and the and the death rates on job sites of of these people in Dallas and Austin who are building these skyscrapers that are all of you know the representative of of the great prosperity of Texas. Um, so a story like that it takes years and it takes resources um, and you know you have to especially with documentary when if you're telling a a story in real time you've got to be able to show up with your crew and your camera when it, when a twist and turn and the story is taking place. So in that regard, it, it seems as if you have, it's, it seems like it's such a luxury to be able to do that. And it has to be recognized that it's a profession and you've got to give people the time and space and resources to let those stories unfold. Um, there's another Austin filmmaker who I believe teaches at UT, um, PJ Raval. He's, his current film is um, Call Her Ganda. 
um, uh, about uh, violence against a, a trans, transgender violence in the Philippines. Um, there are millions and millions of, of stories waiting to be told. Um, so I would want, I would encourage, because we could spend the whole time talking about how um, the system is kind of a nightmare, but we could also say, let's get back to the spirit of pick up the camera and, and start filming. Um, and in that regard, the film society does operate the public access um, function in Austin. I don't, I don't know if I, if, um, if you knew that, I don't know if I had a chance to share that with you, but about three years ago, we took over the contract and the city does provide um, a modest amount of funding and a facility with incredible state-of-the-art cameras and a super friendly staff and with with just a really low uh, barrier to entry which is just a couple of classes um, Austin residents can take those cameras out and um, and get and, and just just do it you know just get started doing it and can also receive help um, getting the stories put on um, public access stations and also on social media. Um, so I guess- oh, That's amazing, yeah. yeah. And another UT Austin filmmaker is Yake Smith, who's African-American. Yes. Um, as, yeah. as well. So um, we, we do have some who are, who are making um, waves in the industry. But that leads me to um, another question as well. Uh, you know, what, what can be done in terms of, um, you just gave us one example, but, um, the Austin Film Society, what can be done once we are past this moment of um, COVID-19, but we are dealing with the wreckage that has happened uh, to the city, um, the, the city's most vulnerable communities, racially segregated communities, economically segregated communities. What can we do to have social impact, positive social impact, and also tell those stories, tell those stories of, of, of the people who've been left behind right here in Austin, even before the racial pandemic um, and the racial disparities of this pandemic, uh, but, but certainly are going to be even in a deeper hole after. Um, yeah, we, we, um, that, that's right. We were really looking um, pretty hard at our culture of our own organization of equity and inclusion. And I've noticed in the pandemic, um, this, the stress of the pandemic, all the, all the phone calls are about like burn rate and cash flow and what's it going to look like on the other side. And it's like the conversation of equity and inclusion. I, I just saw it getting sidelined and, um, recognized that, um, it's, it's got to get centered um, again. So looking at our own hiring practices and the pipeline for promotion and leadership in the organization, and then participating with the city of Austin in um, their efforts um, to, um, to, to address longstanding um, issues of equity and inclusion. So um, you're, you might, you, I'm sure you're aware that there's a community wide conversation taking place in Austin about racial equity and yes. the city of Austin's actual, the, 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 the actual funding that comes from hotel occupancy taxes, which is going to be decimated for a period of time, but it will come back. Um, the priority is that um, equity is not going to be a separate effort, but infused throughout. Um, and that this, that, that the, the, it's, it's race that's getting foregrounded 
um, where that needs to no longer be a predictor of the, the quality of life outcomes. So I'm. It's been exciting um, to have the arts community gather and and discuss this. And then the question is, how can the funding be distributed more equitably? Um, so that conversation has to keep going, and that funding has to be distributed more equitably. Um, and um, and then I I think. Um, I, I, I did want um, to, so, so we've talked about how the, the, the tools are available at Austin Public. Um, we can talk about the fact that at Austin Studios, we're encouraging film production and we, I think, workforce training and um, getting people um, of color the opportunity to get paid to learn and also um, the encourage the employers um, to, to do on-the-job training is, there's a potential huge upside with that. And then, and then last, I do want to talk about coming to the movies at our theater because the films are so carefully curated and, and so special. So everything we've got to do more and better in every regard. And I think we'll be, um, you know, on our heels a little bit, um, trying to recover economically, um, at the same time. All right. We'll leave it at We'll leave it right there. Um, we've been talking with Rebecca Campbell about the power of story, the power of image, and really the Austin Film Society's efforts to bend the curve in terms of racial justice and equity uh, in the context of this COVID-19 pandemic, and really the crisis of race and democracy that we're witnessing unfurl all around us in Minneapolis and other cities um, with the death of another uh, Black person, George Floyd. Um, um, recently and, and the conflagrations and the rebellions and the protests that we're seeing. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming uh, to our Race and Democracy podcast. I think this has been very enlightening um, to see the wonderful work that the Austin Film Society is doing to try to promote racial equity and access uh, within the entire film ecosystem in Austin and beyond. So Rebecca Campbell, CEO of the Austin Film Society, thank you. Thank you so much, Peniel. Thanks for listening to this episode. And you can check out related content on Twitter at Peniel Joseph. That's P-E-N-I-E-L-J-O-S-E-P-H. And our website, csrd.lbj.utexas.edu. And the Center for Study of Race and Democracy is on Facebook as well. This podcast was recorded at the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.